All right, you can talk to me this morning. Then when we go to 1 Peter 1.7, and it says this, the trials will show you that your faith is genuine. Everyone say faith is genuine. How many people feel excited so far? It has been tested as fire tests and purifies gold through your faith is far more, though your faith, sorry, is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. I I don't know about you, I kind of like the, the second half of that verse. You know, where praise and honor comes to us on that day. I just don't like the fact that it's the first part of the verse that you have to go through to get to the second part of the verse. The first part of the verse is, you know, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. Jesus said this, that you will have trouble in this world, but don't worry, I have overcome the world. He didn't say I'm going to save you from trouble. He just said that you're going to have trouble, but the cool thing is I've overcome trouble. And then he turns around and says here that your trials will show that your faith is genuine, and it will be tested as fire tests gold. That means that you're going to go through fires in life. You're going to go through tough times in life. And you know what? You have to go through those tough times in life for one reason and one reason only, and that is a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. See, so many of us don't really realize what we believe until we get in a position where we have to believe it. Faith is not really faith until it's tested to see whether you believe that thing. You can stand up on the roof of this building and say, I don't believe in gravity. But that theory or that belief or that faith that you have won't be tested until you jump off the building and connect with the concrete. And so we can turn around and say that we have this faith in God, we have this trust in God. He he never leaves us nor forsakes us. God is always with us. We We can say that, but a faith that is not tested is not really a faith that can be trusted because until the hard time comes, you actually don't really know what you stand for. I had a good friend that I went through Bible college with. His name was... Brett, and, and he was, you know, youth pastor, doing all this sort of stuff, and preaching, and doing all that sort of things, and he, I had a worry for him, to be honest with you, because he'd never really had a tough time in his life, like when he came to buy a house, his parents gave him the money to buy a house, like he'd never really gone through a difficult time, and then when he went through a very difficult time, he left his faith as quick as anything, and is still away from that 20 odd years later. You see, a faith that is tested can always be trusted. And I want to look this morning at a story of three teenage boys. They they say that these boys were about 15 years of age at the time. Their name was Meshach, Shabrach, and Abednego. My dad used to say, make the bed, shake the bed, turn the bed over. And these three boys at 15 years of age went through a very difficult time And I want us to learn from them maybe three things that we need to remember when we're going through the fire. Because they were around when King Nebuchadnezzar was around, considered to be probably the most evil king that has ever existed. And what King Nebuchadnezzar decided to do is that he was going to build a giant statue of himself that everybody could worship. Does anybody think that maybe King Nebuchadnezzar had a little bit of an ego problem? Yes? So he decided to build the statue that everybody had to worship. And in Daniel chapter 3, it says this, When you hear the sound of the horn, this is him talking, flute, 
lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. How many people think that sounds exciting? Anyone that doesn't obey this thing and worship the idol that I made of myself will be thrown into the fiery furnace. It's, it's, not, it's not exactly, you know, it's not like if you love me and if you think I'm awesome, then you'll bow down and worship the statue that I made of myself. It's kind of really not a choice here, is there? It's kind of not really a choice. It's like, you'll do this or I'm going to kill you. And everybody knows and everybody bows to this golden statue except for three teenage boys. Three teenage boys called Meshach, Shabrach, and Abednego continued to stand firm in their belief of what they believed was the one true God. And even when there was a trial that would cause them or could cause them to be thrown into the fire, they stood firm. Now, I don't know how bad your week has been or how bad some of your days have been lately, but these guys are facing a pretty bad day. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not kids crying and moaning because they're bored because it's school holidays. Any parents have that problem this week? Oh, you're quiet with me today. Any parents looking forward to your children finishing school holidays this week? No, you all love your children being at home with you 24-7. Wow, you're great parents. They're facing what looks like a pretty bad day here, yeah? But there are some qualities that occur with our faith and in their faith when we're facing seasons of trial or fire. There are, there are qualities that occur when you go through seasons of trials and fire that just doesn't occur any other way. And the first thing that I see from their lives is this, is that faith obeys God instead of following man. Faith obeys God instead of following man. I mean, everybody else is bowing, but the boys are standing. It says this, Shabrat, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. I love this. Only teenagers could reply like this. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. In other words, they're saying, you know what, king? We're not going to do what you tell us to do, and we're not even going to give you a reason for it. Yes? We're not going to tell you, because you know what? It's got nothing to do with you. I'm not going to tell you why we're doing this or we're not doing this because it's got nothing to do with you and everything to do with us and God. Only a teenager could speak that way to a king who's about to take their lives, yes? Like they talk to you when you ask them to do the dishes, not realizing that you could take their life. Yeah? My, my mum used to say this to me sometimes, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out of it. And um, so these boys are just like, here's the thing, you have to bow to the statue. No, we're not bowing. Why aren't you bowing? Nothing to do with you, bro. It's between me and Jesus. We're not going to do what you tell us to do. Faith obeys God and doesn't follow man. They didn't have to pray about it. Come on. Man, I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody and said, hey, I really think, oh, I'll have to go away and pray about it. That's just, that's just Christianese for I don't want to do this, but I'm not going to say no to you right now. I'm going to make it sound spiritual by saying I'm going to pray about it, and hopefully you'll forget about it in a couple of weeks. That's what that means. They didn't have to pray about it. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to fast about it. 
They didn't have to do any of that. They didn't have to take their dramatic circumstance of their life and post it onto Facebook and ask everybody what they think they should do. Oh, did that hit a little too close to home? They have one predetermined plan once again, and this has been all the way through the series, this predetermined plan, this predetermined action. And that predetermined plan was that they were going to obey God, period. That's it. Doesn't matter what anybody else says, what anybody else is do, we will be obedient to God no matter what. Why? Because faith obeys God and doesn't follow man. They could have said, you know what, let's just bow down, pretend we're worshipping this ridiculous idol, but on the inside we'll be singing Waymaker. Oh, you don't even know we sing that song in church? I thought that kind of ought to get a bit of a response. You know, so why they're bowing down, we make a miracle work, you know, just under their breath, singing along. They could have, you know what, we'll just worship it today and then we'll just ask for forgiveness tomorrow. Does that sound familiar to some of you? Not to you, but maybe just to me. I'll wake up and I'll do what I've done before and I'll just ask God to forgive me. I'll just bow down to it now. Or, you know what, here's a rational thought. What good are we if we're dead? How is anybody going to reach these people if we're dead? So we'll just bow down to this thing for now. And then later on, we'll tell everybody that Jehovah is the one true God. They could have done all of those things. They could have done anything to avoid this situation, but they didn't do that because they had a predetermined decision that we will honor and obey God and we will not follow anyone else or anything else that is happening. And here's the thing. I promise you that if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're truly trying to follow what it is that God has asked you to do, what God has called you to do, I will guarantee you 100% that the devil, Satan, your spiritual enemy, will give you ample opportunity in this world to compromise what you know to be true and what you know to be his purposes for you. The enemy will give you a thousand opportunities in a day to compromise on what you know to be true and what you know that you need to do. He's not going to sit back and be okay with it. But here these guys are saying, you know what? We're not going to listen and we're not going to go there because our focus, our faith focuses on the audience of one, not the audience of many. They were saying, my faith is focused on the one true God and what he requires and what he wants, not what the crowd wants. Because the crowd, I'm telling you now, It'll be for you one day and against you the next day. Come on. It'll be celebrating you one day and come against you the next day. They were going to focus their faith on the audience of one. And there are going to be seasons for you and for me in God where God is going to call us to do things that good meaning people, not just bad people, but good meaning people are going to say, Are you crazy? Are you crazy? But faith in the fire, what does faith in the fire do? It obeys God. It doesn't listen to the comments of the consensus of people, but it obeys God and it doesn't follow others. The second thing that faith does is it obeys in spite of what it sees. Faith obeys God and doesn't follow man. The second thing is faith obeys in spite of what it sees. Daniel 3, 17, it says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
then God whom we serve is able to save us and he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Once again, I love this in these guys. No matter what I see, I believe that not only is my God all powerful, not only is he all in charge, this is what they're saying to him, but I believe that my God is willing to save me. Not only can he save me, but he's willing to save me and he's more powerful than you and I'm more afraid of him than I'll ever be of you they're just like there, I put in a stake in the ground here saying, I don't care what you're showing us. I mean, they're looking at a fiery furnace. They can see this thing burning. They can see it with their eyes. But the thing is, it's like, man, we are not dictated to by what we see. We're dictated to our faith in the one true God. We're dictated by what he says. And no matter what you say, we know that he can save us and he's willing to save us. And here's the thing, there's, there's a really big difference between God just being able to do something in my life and God wanting to do something in my life. I think a lot of us have a faith that says that God's able to do something in my life. I think where we fall over is we don't actually have a faith that says that God wants to do something in my life. I think a lot of us, when we get sick or we need healing, pray prayers like, God, you're able to do this rather than saying, God, you want to do this. I think too many things that we step out in God, we think is faith, but it's actually cross fingers, touch wood. He can do this, hopefully. Not, he will do this. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord that heals. He is salvation. He is love. He is grace. He is mercy. These aren't things that he does. These are things that he is. And he wants to. It's not just that he can, but he wants to. And no matter what your circumstance looks like in your world, and for these guys that didn't look very good, they made a decision, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. See, our faith has to rise in these situations, not diminish in these situations. Our faith needs to lift when we're going through tough times, not diminish. Our faith needs to rise, and you need to believe of everything in you that your God, my God, is not only able to save me, but I believe that he wants to save me. Here's the thing. That's our job. That's our responsibility. What God does with that is God's problem. Are you with me? See, he has called me to pray, and he has called me to believe in faith but I'm not responsible for the outcome of my prayers and I'm not responsible for the outcome of my faith. And sometimes we falter in our prayer and in our faith in the middle of our darkest moments because we're looking for an outcome and we don't see it happening and so we start to shrink back in our prayers and shrink back in our faith because we have a pre preconceived idea of how God is going to do this how God is going to save me out of this situation. But we forget this core value that we need to understand, and that is this, that if you can understand how God is going to save you, that doesn't require you to have faith in the process. Doesn't require you to have faith in Him if you know how it's going to turn out. And we also forget that His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. They are higher than ours. He has a purpose that is bigger than your life. God is not conformed to the things that I see. He is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. And he is able to exceed, do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. We, we know the scripture says that if we don't doubt. So our faith says that God is not only with us, but we know that he is for us no matter what we are going through, no matter what circumstance we're in. Faith is not dictated by what I see. It's faith is in my obedience to him. And make no mistake, the things that God has put in your heart to believe for, I, I can guarantee you that God will take a path that you don't think that he's going to take. And the thing is, is that we start to believe for things and we start to think, okay, this is how God's going to do it. But God never takes the path that you think that he's going to take. And that's what makes him God and what makes us not. Because he actually sees the big picture. The Bible says he sees the end from the beginning. So in other words, we look at our lives by what's in front of us. We can see what has come behind us, but we, we look towards our future. But God stands at the end of our lives and he looks back and he can see all the things that are going to happen in your world years before you can even recognize it. He sees the end from the beginning so you can trust him because he knows how it ends. And the Bible says that for those that believe it always ends well. I've read the end of the book and we win. Come on. See, the hardest question in all of this when we're going through a difficult time, and I have these questions as much as you do, the hardest question is, well, what if God doesn't do what I'm believing for? What if that person dies? What if you're believing for God to bring a child, your, your, your daughter or your son, back to Christ, but they seem to not be coming closer to Christ, they seem to be getting sucked further and further away from Christ. What, what if those things don't happen? What, what do you do then? What do you, what do you do when the thing that you're believing for just doesn't look like it's even coming anywhere close to happening? Well, the next thing you do is that your faithful obedience, number three, your faithful obedience is your responsibility. But the outcome is God's. You see, healing is not my responsibility. To pray for and believe for healing is. Well, why, doesn't, why does God heal some people and doesn't heal other people? I don't know. Ask him. All I know is that he has said for us to pray for it and believe for it. See, obedience to what he says is my responsibility. The outcome is God's responsibility. Living out what God has called you to do and what God has asked you to do. Living that out in your life. That's your job. Your job is to obey. Your job is to do what he has asked you to do. And that's where your job ends. And where we get so frustrated sometimes is we think that we're responsible for the outcome, but we're not responsible for the outcome. See, the Bible says this, that it says, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can command this mountain to move and it shall be thrown into the sea. And I was saying this to the young people the other week. I said, see, the seed is the beginning, not the outcome. Come on. The seed is the beginning of the apple tree, not the outcome of the apple tree. See, our job is to plant the seed, not cause the tree to grow. Our job is to have seed faith where we step out and we start the process, but God finishes it. And here's the thing, if it's about you finishing it, 
then there's no faith required because you can do it in your own strength, in your own ability, and God then doesn't get involved. Our job is to start. Our job is not to finish. Our job is to plant it, to water it, to do the things that he's asked us to do, but he will bring the increase, the Bible says. God is the one who is responsible for the outcome. Your job ends at your obedience, and his job begins at your obedience. It says this in Daniel, it says, but even if God does not, what they're saying is we know that our God can save us, we know that he will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship your gold statue that you have set up. We know God can save us, but even if he doesn't, We're going to do our job of being faithfully obedient to what he has told us. We are not responsible for the outcome. And here's the thing, even if he doesn't save them, the outcome is they end up in heaven. How is that a bad outcome? Even if he doesn't, we're not bowing, we're not doing this. We will do the right thing before God and we will trust him with the outcome. You've got three teenage boys here. Remember this, 15 years of age. Seth's going to turn 15 this year. 15 years of age. You're about to become crispy critters. They don't know what God is going to do. We've read the end of the story. We know that God, but they don't know that. They don't know what God's going to do. But their faith is unwavering. Their faith is, we, we, we don't know what the outcome's going to be, but we trust him. We trust him. We trust him. Because they, you know why they trust him? Because they knew him intimately. They knew his goodness. They knew his power. They knew the heart of their God. So they knew that they could trust him. And in response to their rebellion, of course, King Nebuchadnezzar, who has a massive ego, turns around and says, right, that's it. Stoke up the fiery furnace seven times hotter than it has been previously. So his response was to stoke it up seven times hotter and he orders the strong soldiers to bind their hands and throw them into the furnace so that they would be killed. Now the Bible goes on to say this, that the furnace was so hot that the men that threw them into the furnace died instantaneously because of the heat. It's like, why couldn't you just bow, man? I'd still be alive today. They throw these boys into the fire, and the ones that threw them into the fire were the ones that were burnt by the fire that the king had started. They're the ones that are killed instantaneously, not inside the furnace, but outside the furnace. That's how hot the furnace was. They're just the guys throwing them in. Have you ever been around a campfire and you got to put another log on the fire, cook me up some bacon and some beans, go up in the kitchen, fetch my slippers. Um, kitchen? No, whatever. And you're there, and there's like a bonfire going on. It usually, usually happens around Guy Fawkes, where you've got insane people with Roman candles trying to kill each other and pop each other's eyes out. And, and you know, you got to put another log on, but you've you got to stand a distance away, don't you? And you kind of just throw it on, because you get any closer, and it just gets too hot. 
You know, you, you're trying to roast the marshmallows for the kids, but, but you, it's just... <laughs> because it's so hot that... Well, you've got to realize that this was so hot that they got close enough to throw them in and that closeness, they were killed before they even got in there. And the story goes on to say that King Nebuchadnezzar was, a, was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound, everyone say bound, into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king, look, he answered them, I see four men loose, everyone say loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. <laughs> you see, God will show you his power in all kinds of different ways through the course of your life. He will. But you will know his presence best when you're in the middle of a fire. God will show you his power throughout your life in all sorts of circumstances. But when I've experienced God's presence the most has been in the middle of a situation that requires his help. The Bible says that he never leaves us nor forsakes us, yet we get into a difficult time and we think he's gone on holiday. The scripture says here that they were unharmed and they were unburned. And their robes, the Bible says, doesn't even smell like smoke as you read that story along. It says here that they were loose, yet they were thrown into the fire, bound. And as they looked in, they found four men unbound. The fire burned the very thing that bound them. Can I suggest to you that maybe the thing that you're facing right now is not God being mean to you, but it's actually God trying to save you from the very things that have bound you. Sometimes you've got to go through fire to burn off the things that have bound you so that you can be loosed. Could I suggest to you that the reason why you go through your difficult times and your tough times is so that Christ can set you free from the things that bound you and free you into them? The only thing that was burnt in the fire were the bindings of men, nothing else, not their clothes, not the hair. Have you ever smelt hair that is singed? Not a single hair was singed on their body. They're, they're, they're closed and it smelled like smoke. And anyway, the only thing that got burnt in the fire were those that threw them in and the bindings that they had placed on them. We so often want to run out of circumstances instead of understanding that God uses circumstances to burn off the things which have bound us and put us in that circumstance in the first place. Sometimes we're begging God to deliver us from our suffering. We're begging God to end the season of challenge, to end the season of hurt, to end the season of trial, when actually God is using that season to remove from you the very mechanism that God wants to remove so that you can be set free. Don't minimize the presence of God in your circumstance of your hurt. Don't minimize what God can accomplish in the middle of your fiery furnace. Don't forget that God is still with you in the middle. And if God will take you into it, God will bring you out of it. But maybe the things that hold us in the tough time is because we're holding on to the very things that got us in there in the first place. And God is trying to remove those things.
You've got to remember that God uses all things, what? To give it for good for those who love him and accord according to his purpose. We have this great story in the Bible. We've already talked about Daniel and the lions then. We've already talked about, and we're talking today about boys being saved from the fire. All of those things came through trials, those great stories that boost our faith and cause us to say, you know what, if God can do that for them, then God can do that for me. They had to go through the fiery furnace to produce the great results. And I want to tell you that fiery times that you go through, the tough times that you go through are not punishment. It's God's trying to deliver you from the very things that have bound you. When God shows up in your hurt, the world will look on and God will be glorified. It says here that Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They will see you. People will see you and they'll see what you've gone through, but they'll glorify your God because of it. They will say, praise be to God, the God of Jason, not Jason that's here, but just a made-up Jason. Let me change the name to something else. Is there any... <laughs> oh, I'll pick one, Gertrude. There's no Gertrudes here, eh? Praise be to the God of Gertrude who saved her from her addiction to drugs and alcohol. That's what they'll say. They'll see the trial that has come through and they'll see what you've gone through, but the praise will go to God for bringing you through it. When you stand in the midst of a battle, people will look on and they will see you, but they will honor God. When you go through the midst of a battle, people will see you and they'll see what you're going through. But when you come through the other side, they will honor God. They will celebrate Him. They will thank him because they will turn around and they'll say to you, how have you managed to go through this? How have you kept your joy? How have you not given up on life? How have you gone through this and not quit in the middle of the process? And you'll be able to say, it's because of the God that I follow, the fourth man in the fire, the one that is with me, the one that never leaves me. It says here in Daniel, it says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. This is King Nebuchadnezzar talking. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except for their own god. Why? Because a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. And this king that made the golden statue, this king that made the fiery furnace, this king that put them in a position where they could have lost their lives, this king at the end of it, because they had a faith that obeyed God and didn't follow man, because they had a faith that didn't go away what it saw, but what God had commanded, because they understood that their job was faithful obedience and God's job was the outcome, because of that, the evilest king that's ever walked the planet at the end of it turned around and worshipped God. Maybe some of the people, friends and family around you that you're trying to reach won't be reached until you go through a fiery furnace where they can't deny the fact that God was with you, that God was with you. I want to tell you this morning, there is always, there is always a fourth man in your fire. There is always a fourth man in your fire. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. 
God is not on the outside of your problems. God is in the inside, in the fire with you. He is the fourth man in the fire. Who is the fourth man in Genesis? He's the creator. In Exodus, he's the deliverer. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet. In Joshua, he is our salvation. In Judges, he's the judge. In Ruth, he's the kingsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of our lives. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, He's the everlasting redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he's our lover and our bridegroom. Who was the fourth man? In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's a wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man. In life's fiery furnaces. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and fire. And Amos, he's our burden bearer. And Obadiah, he is a mighty one to save. And Jonah, he is a great miss missionary. And Micah, he is a message of beautiful feet. And Nahum, he is avenger of God's people. And Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist. And Zephaniah, he is our saviour. And Haggai, he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. And Zechariah, he is the fountain. And Malachi, he is the righteousness of God with healing in his wings. Who is the fourth man in your fiery furnace? And Matthew, he's Messiah. And Mark, he's a wonder worker. And Luke, he's the son of man. And John, he's the son of God. And Acts, he's the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he's the justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's our sanctifier. In Galatians, he's our redeemer. In Ephesians, he's the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the God who supplies all of our needs. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's the soon coming king. And in First and Second Timothy, he is the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's the faithful pastor. In Philemon. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's the great physician. In first and second Peter, he is the chief shepherd. And one, two, and three, John, he is love. In Jude, he's the Lord coming again. And in Revelation, he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Who is the fourth man in your fire? He's Noah's rainbow, Jacob's ram. Abraham's ram, Jacob's ladder, Moses' rod, Joshua's sun and moon that stood still, Elijah's mantle, Elisha's staff, Gideon's fleece, Samuel's horn of oil, David's slingshot, Daniel's visions, Peter's shadow, Stephen's signs and wonders, Paul's handkerchiefs, John's pearly white city. Who is the fourth man in the fire? He's the father to the orphan. The husband to the widow, the bright and morning star. He's a lily of the valley, the honey in the rock, the pearl of great price, the rod and the staff that comforts. He is the brightness and the glory of God. And He is the King of glory. Who is the fourth man in your fire? He is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the living God, my Saviour, my Lord, my King. And he's a fourth man in my fire. Come on. He's a fourth man in your fire. He's a fourth man in your marriage, in your family, in your finances. Come on. Someone should be getting excited about who he is this morning. Come on. Give him some. He's a fourth man in the fire. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Come on. Come on. Let's give him some worship this morning. <laughs> 